Um, we're getting ready to do kind of a, a whole year of what we're calling discipleship. The river's goals or their vision is a place where people can belong, believe, and become. That's great alliteration. And we found a while ago that we do a pretty good job at the belong and believe part. Um, not so much the become. And it was almost as if the back door there was just wide open and it was, you know, just travelers going, going through. And we began, began to question, are people getting discipled? Um, and by that, are, the, are people growing in their faith? Are people becoming more like Christ? And, and we thought, in some ways, yes. In some ways, yeah, in great ways. But in other ways, no. And so we decided um, with staff and elders and deacons, we're going to spend a year... Um, in the become focus and a year of discipleship. And we're actually going to go through the entire Bible, um, not word by word, but, you know, the concepts of the entire Bible from beginning to end. And there's going to be a lot of things that are going to kick off out of that. And it actually starts next week with Rob, but I'm supposed to kind of introduce it. And the topic that he gave me to talk about this morning was what is a disciple? Which basically means I could talk about anything and get away with it. So, that's what I did. What is a disciple? If you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 16, starting in verse 24, that's, that's, where, that's the verse I want to touch on, and it's Jesus talking about what a disciple is or isn't. But before we do that, I became recently intrigued with the concept of digging your own grave. Not necessarily for the morbidness of it, but just that I have the tendency to do it a lot. And it happened the other day when I was talking with Phrase about Wendy's. And I don't know, something about Wendy's beef is never frozen. And that concept is hard to swallow for some people. But the logical progression in my mind, and something that I had heard from a friend at some point, that I just assumed to be absolute truth, I just blurted out to phrase, yeah, Wendy's only uses fresh beef. That's why all of the Wendy's are around feedlots and meat packaging plants. To which phrase replied, let's look that up online. <laughs> and before I knew it, I had dug a six foot deep grave and I couldn't get out of it. Because I knew I had said something that was completely bogus, and I don't know where it came from. It just blurted out of my mouth. I do that all the time. And I'm, I'm, kinda, I'm toning it down, but I've, I'm trying to avoid the words absolute, and I'm trying, to say it is, I'm trying not to say it is this way, but, but I do that often. I do it with Wendy's, and I don't know if you guys have done that too before. I'm sure we have, but it's that moment when, if you're married, your wife comes into the room and you say, you look beautiful today. And she replies, don't I look beautiful every day? <laughs> and you realize I have just dug my own grave. Now that's, that's the intro into that concept. It wasn't like I was thinking about how I dig my own grave and then this whole sermon unfolded out of this, out of this thing. I, I was thinking about digging your own grave because I was thinking about the Romans and the concept of, of their execution methods and what they would do to people who they supposed were guilty of something. They wouldn't just take their lives. And I thought about 
the concept of the Holocaust and digging your own grave and how twisted that was and, and some of the deception and manipulation that would go into those things and how, how people would kill people throughout history. But the Romans were about the worst of the worst. They were just horrible. And they would provide not only death to people who they thought they were guilty, whether they were guilty or not, they would ultimately create one of the most traumatic events for a person who was about to die. And, you know, it's crucifixion. But when they wouldn't just crucify someone. They, they, they initially, when, when someone is found guilty for something, the admission of guilt was not the process of death. It was the fact that the Romans would make that person put that cross on their shoulder and carry it all of the way to the place where they would die. And I'm thinking, if somebody's going to do that to me, I'm just going to say no. I'm not doing that. But you didn't say no to the Romans. They were ruthless. They might threaten to kill your family if you don't do the things that they say. And so you can imagine someone who's been found guilty of something being forced to carry the tool that's going to be used to ultimately end their life to that place where they're going to end their life. And the emotional trauma that someone must be going through in that moment has got to be insane. And yet the Roman people would say, it's an admission of guilt. But it's so much more than that, and it's so much worse. It's like putting something on your shoulder that is filled with shame, especially if you are guilty. I know I did something. Now everybody else knows I did something. Now I'm admitting that I did something, and now I'm going to pay the price for what I did, and everyone's going to watch the whole time. And there's no blame, but it's on me. And if I didn't commit the crime, then all of a sudden I'm receiving all that blame anyways. And the humiliation of doing something like that and the emotional trauma that it would create would just be unparalleled. And so, when we know that, and we then begin to embrace this idea of what Jesus actually did for us, it kind of enlightens a little bit more. If carrying the cross was some type of an admission of guilt, then when Jesus carries the cross, he is admitting guilt, not his own. But he's admitting ours. And the cross is heavy, and the cross is shameful. Jesus is not carrying his shame, he's carrying ours. And he's not carrying his guilt, he's carrying ours. And everybody thinks he did something, and some people don't think he did something, and he knows he didn't do anything, but he decided, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to let everyone assume I did for the people that I love. And he has the tendency to embrace this idea of torture and punishment in a way that no one ever has in history. And I think that's profound, but what happens that's unique to me about Jesus is what he says in Matthew 16, 24, and 25. I don't want to read that. I think it might have to be a slide too. If it is, it'll pop up. But in Matthew 16, 24, and 25, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. So there's an idea of Jesus saying, yes, if, if you're going to be my disciple, 
You need to take up your cross and you need to follow me, which in sermon after sermon after sermon, what we hear is admit that you cannot do it by yourself. The moment you pick up your cross and you begin to follow Jesus, you begin to acknowledge that his way of doing things is better than your way of doing things. And then all of a sudden we're following him and those things are true. But when I read that verse, the questions that I have are, number one, why on earth would he use that analogy? That's horrible. I'm sure his disciples are terrified of the Roman Empire. Nobody wants to pick up their cross. Nobody wants to follow anyone carrying a cross. Because if you do follow anyone carrying a cross, it's shame, it's humiliation, it's blame, and it's certain death. By people who could care less if you're breathing or not. But Jesus chooses to use that analogy. And why? And my second question is, where is he going? If I take up a cross and I follow him, and, I, and that's the idea I have of what carrying a cross is, where on earth is he going anyways? And that's when we come to this abstract concept. Ask Jesus into our heart. Become a disciple. There was a moment when I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my life. What does that mean? What is a disciple? As abstract as that sounds, that's exactly what it means. When we follow Jesus, he comes inside of us. And he begins to do really weird stuff. Really, really weird stuff. And here's what he does. And here's the reason Jesus used that analogy with the disciples. When we're dealing with Jesus throughout the Bible, and I'm going to take you kind of on a, on a quick little journey, he likes to do this thing called inner healing with people. It's never, it's never just what it appears to be. And you guys have heard a little bit of, of this sermon before. But if you, were to, if you were to read the book of Luke, you would find that every scenario... In Luke, where Jesus heals someone, if he was not supposed to touch them, for instance, a leper, or someone who was dead, or someone who was unclean, he touched them. And if he was supposed to touch them, he didn't touch them. Now that's just the book of Luke. Challenge you to, to try me on that one. See what you come up with. If he wasn't supposed to touch them, he touched them. And if he was supposed to touch them, he didn't touch them. So there's a moment, specifically maybe, and we'll jump to Mark. There's, an, uh, there's a woman who's had this bleeding problem for a long time. And she's not supposed to touch anyone, and no one's supposed to touch her, because if they do, then they'll become unclean. But somewhere along the lines, she gets physically touched by Jesus or she touches the hem of his garment, which is an unclean thing, and she's healed. But in that moment, for someone who's considered untouchable, it's so much more than just, oh, your problem's gone. It's an emotional healing. And then there's everyone with leprosy. And there's, there's dead people he wasn't supposed to touch, and all of a sudden the healing is greater than just your disease is gone. It's you matter. It's you're worth something. It's that shame that you experienced before is now gone because I will touch you. 
And in Luke 19, there's even a guy, a tax collector named Zacchaeus, who everybody hated and nobody would eat with because if they went to his house, that's where gonna find, they're going to find all this hoard of money that he's stolen from them. And what does Jesus do? That's where he goes. Jesus has the tendency to look at people and us with a lens that sees the place where we have the most shame, the most guilt, the most humiliation, the most blame, the most weakness, and he dives right to that spot. If no one's touched you in 20 years, that's exactly what I'm doing. If no one's eaten at your house in a long time, that's exactly where I'm going because we're going to deal with the heart of the matter. And a few months ago, Dan actually shared this story about a guy who was blind from birth. Some of you remember this story. This guy was blind from birth, and in Jewish customs, you didn't want to be cursed with that blindness because people believed that blindness came from worshiping other gods in generations past. And so in order to avoid that curse of blindness, if you ever walked by someone who was blind, you would spit at them, and that would somehow block the black magic. Very superstitious. And so there's a blind guy who hears Jesus coming up to him, and he thinks maybe it's Jesus, and he says, Jesus, is that you? And guess what the first thing he hears is? (sighs) Right in the mud. Washes it together puts it on his eyes, and now the guy can see. It's not the miracle that the guy was blind and now he can see. It's so much more than that. This guy had been spit at his whole life. And in one encounter with Jesus, Jesus goes to that place of shame and says, I'm going to reverse every loogie that was ever sent your way. Because I'm going to heal your blindness with my spit. And I'm going to heal your shame with my touch. And then to his disciples who are living in fear of the Roman rule that is around them and surrounding them that can take their life at any minute and threaten their families and and, and accuse them of guilt and have it confirmed by the government and have them put a cross on their shoulder for no reason at all, and march them to a hill and put them on that cross with emotional trauma and shame and guilt and blame that may or may not be theirs, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. He has this uncanny way of taking the very things that bring the most shame to our lives diving directly into them and using them to reverse it and bring us life. And that, my friends, is profound. And that's what he does. He takes the cross that is intended to bring death. The carrying of the cross that is intended to bring shame. And he uses it to bring life and peace. Now, where does that fit for us? And where is Jesus going when we follow him? And I said, he's coming in. He's coming inside. When we were little kids, we were taught that in Sunday school. Ask Jesus into your heart. And it was so real. And it was so true, but it's so abstract. 
He's coming in to that place in your life where there's the most shame and the most guilt and the most embarrassment and the most humiliation and the most weakness. That's where he's focused on. The moment you pick up your cross and begin to follow him, that's where he's headed. With all of his power and with all of his might and with all of his intention, he's going for that wound and that spot. And he's not going to stop until he gets there. And do you know what that means? It means your cross is going to become very heavy. If you begin to get with Jesus, if you really receive this thing that he calls salvation, and then if you begin to dig with him in his word, and get alone with him, and get with people who are with him, all of a sudden, your cross is going to start to be so heavy that you just can't carry it. And that's where we find comfort. Because you know what? Jesus couldn't carry his own cross. I don't know if any of you knew that. We want to think like he's Superman. But there's a moment when Jesus has hit that big cross on his shoulder, and he's got the guilt and the shame of the world, and we think, there he is, Superman, going to save the day, and all of a sudden, he's marching, and he's bleeding, and he's wounded, and he's weak, and he just hits the floor, and he can't take another step. He couldn't even carry his own cross. The Son of God could not bear his own cross. And that's when this dude named Simon was pulled up. You carry his cross. If you truly jump into this thing called discipleship, if you truly jump into this pursuit after Jesus with all that you have, more than church on Sunday, and you know, we're going to try to give a plan a little bit to kind of help us along. But if you really say, Jesus, come into these places, I'm ready to carry it, you must know that your cross is going to get so heavy that you will find yourself in a place where all of your weaknesses, all of your addictions, all of your shame, all of your blame, all of your secrets, and all of your wounds are exposed and you will be seen as weak and trembling and broken. And that is the moment when you will find the overwhelming and all-empowering grace of God who will step out of the crowd and say, you were never intended to carry this alone. And I'm going to do it for you now. And then we enter into this crazy concept called resurrection. Where we realize that those very things that have shamed us and hurt us and humiliated us and brought us down again and again and again. Jesus is using them. He's come in. You've followed him in. He's found those things. And he's redeemed them. He's touched you if you can't be touched. He's spit on you if you've been spit on your whole life and it's, and it's been redeemed. And all of a sudden, the very things that were bringing death are now bringing life. For those of us who long for community and blame everyone around us when we don't get it, Jesus is saying, I have it. For those of us who are in an addiction and keep it so secret and we manage it so well 
that no one would know, Jesus will say, I want to expose it. I want it to be laid bare. I want to go in after it. And there will be life and there will be healing. Your cross was meant to bring you down. And I hope it does. Because that's where life and peace are found. So we're getting ready to do a year of discipleship. And my prayer is that we dive into that full bore. That we pick up our crosses and that we follow Jesus to the places that he's going. And that we know it's not easy. It's not easy at all. But go there. Carry your cross there. And when your knee hits the ground, you will experience the biggest grace you've ever experienced in your life. But you got to go there. And so do I.